0: Hello, coming to you from New York City, this is Disaster Politics, the podcast that explores the intersection of policy and legislation with disaster preparedness, response, and recovery. I'm your host, Jeff Slegamelch. All right. Thanks for joining us here on Disaster Politics Podcast. Great to reconnect. I know it's been a while since we dropped an episode, but we've got a really good one today. We've got a great guest, Anne Stauffer from the Pew Charitable Trusts. We're going to talk about fiscal federalism, how money moves between states and the federal government and down to localities, and their latest report, What We Don't Know About State Spending on Natural Disasters Could Cost Us. Talks about data limitations, their implications for policymaking, and strategies for improvement. This is a really important piece because we can't have good that fiscal federal policy without good data and when we ask questions like how do we get states to spend more on disaster preparedness and disaster mitigation do we actually know the nature of that spending how much is spent and how it's being spent and how much really is federal versus state dollars we're going to get into that plus a little bit more uh really excited for this conversation and uh we'll uh we'll pick it up on the other side Today I'm joined by Ann Stauffer, who directs the Pew Charitable Trust's work on fiscal federalism and broadband research. With regard to fiscal federalism, she oversees the research and impact of federal tax on spending changes on states and directs efforts to engage policymakers in discussions on this critical relationship. Um, Prior to joining Pew, she was an assistant division director in the New Mexico Department of Finance and Administration's Budget Division. Before that, she worked at the Office of Management and Budget in Washington and has also worked with the National Telecommunications and Information ad- Administration who, um, and also a nonprofit organization that served survivors of war. She holds her bachelor's degree in international relations from Brown and master's in business administration from the University of North Carolina. And thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, Jeff, thanks. I'm glad to be here and I appreciate your interest in our work. All right. Um, well, can you
0: talk to us just a little bit more, like what is the role of the Pew Charitable Trust in this space and specifically uh, your work with disaster policy more generally?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to. I'll give you a brief overview of Pew overall, and then and then how my project got involved in disaster policy. Sounds great. Um, okay, so Pew is a public charity, and we conduct fact-based research and analysis to improve policy, inform the public, and invigorate civic life. Um, folks have probably heard on. Uh, the radio, if you listen to NPR, that we always say we use the power of knowledge to solve a wide range of today's challenging problems. And that really is a wide range. So, you know, Pew's work goes from protecting U.S. public lands to helping states address shortfalls in their pension savings to improving electronic health records and now also uh, government spending on disaster assistance, and which is where my project comes in. I lead the Fiscal Federalism Project at Pew, as you mentioned And we look at the impact on states when the federal government changes its spending. And this can have a big effect because states get 30% of their revenue on average from the federal government. So we've done deep dives into the federal-state relationship in transportation and higher education funding because there are policy implications that stem from how money flows between the federal government and the states in those areas. And when we turned our... attention to disaster assistance, because it's so intertwined, you know, not only at the federal state, but also local level. And because disasters are becoming more expensive, and therefore putting a strain on everyone's budgets. And then, um, particularly then also because there's a lot going on in terms of policy changes um, being discussed at the federal level that could affect that intergovernmental relationship. And so as we looked at into how funding flows between the federal government and the states, we realized that the state spending data was missing. You know, Often when we look at these, you can, you can see how much the federal government spends and you can see how much the states spend and you can see where the balance is in the relationship. But here we did not have the data on state spending. So we reached out to all 50 states to collect this data and we heard back from 23 and then recently released the report Um, that we called What We Don't Know About State Spending on Natural Disasters Could Cost Us.
0: Yeah, and a great report. And if folks haven't read that, they should look into that. We'll link to it in the uh, description for the podcast, and that was released back in June. Um, and I thought you know it was really interesting because there's a lot of you know i've seen a lot of different sort of slices being looked at on you know various aspects of disaster policy and incentivizing change, whether it's the Stafford Act or the Disaster Relief Fund or the National Flood Insurance program um, and revisions to that. but you guys get to a much more sort of fundamental is that we don't actually really know how the money is spent and some of the variations across that. Um, Just to to read through some of the top-level findings, that most states do not comprehensively track disaster spending, that the spending Mm -hmm. that they do have is very variable across that. Um, I was wondering, can you talk a little bit more about that as well, too? That, one, I mean, these states don't even know how much money is flowing through it and some of the implications of that, as well as why is spending so variable? What's kind of behind that?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to. It was... was, um very interesting to look at this uh, because um, state spending on disasters kind of states spend in two ways that um, we thought about it as in two buckets. First, they spend on their own programs, including disaster assistance for events that don't qualify for federal help, that don't meet the threshold. Mm -hmm. And second, um, in the funds that they need to spend to receive federal grants, such as public assistance and hazard mitigation grant programs, um, these are known as cost shares, a term your listeners will all recognize, I'm sure. Um, so we looked at those two uh, types of spending. And what we saw from the data we received back from the states is that spending can really vary. Um, for example, in, in looking at state-owned spending versus cost-share spending, for the five-year period that we got data, um, 93% of Delaware spending was on their own state-level programs. Mm-hmm. while in Wyoming, everything they spent was for federal cost shares. And of course, one of the, some of the things that drive variation in state spending is, of course, whether they've had a recent disaster or not, too. So there's, you know, the, there are lots of reasons for variation. Um, but it also can vary depending on the type of programs that they decide to run at the state level. So state spending can vary by type of program. Some states have public assistance programs that mirror FEMA's, and we found that um, Arizona reported spending $11 million on such a program, and Wisconsin spent $5 million. And others have individual assistance programs that are similar to FEMA's. And in that period, Arkansas and Ohio reported each spending a, a million on such programs. And then we particularly also were interested in um, mitigation programs, the ones, you know, programs that can, um, you know, are designed to reduce the cost or the impact and damage of the next disaster. And so we found that Iowa spent 49 million and North Dakota spent 226 million for flood control mm-hmm. and Oregon spent about 36 million for earthquake retrofits during this time. And then finally, <laughs> goes to show how much variation there can be. We found that states vary in how much they split cost shares related to federal programs with local governments. So some states pay all of the federal cost share Some states split it with the locals in different um, variations even there. And some states pass the entire cost on to local governments.
0: Sorry, so this is the disaster relief fund. The federal government pays 70% for the response and the the recovery efforts, but the other 30% the state has to pay. And then it's up to the state to decide how much the locals pay or if they just cover it all. That's the number you're referring to, right?
1: Yeah, the cost share is really, um, there are actually several programs where that require the um, states to pay a share and the uh, federal government pays um, the share. And the, some of the most well-known ones are the 75-25 split for a lot of the FEMA grants. Mm-hmm. Um, there are federal programs that have different splits, but um, 75-25 is the one most people use and talk about. Um, and the reason we actually looked at that is because as one parts of the many ways that state spending varies is that um, there, if there are, you know, decisions to change anything about the cost share because states split it differently with local governments that will actually have different impacts on different states. And this is why the variation overall is, is important to consider because federal changes um, to one or more aspects of um, the federal programs that, that go to states will actually affect states differently because of this
0: you know that's interesting too because it seems that um you know there've been a lot of signal from from FEMA and um even in the last administration um and particularly on the heels of the 2017 hurricane season that uh and uh which was f- obviously both very damaging but also incredibly expensive that uh the way that disasters are financed is not inherently sustainable um and there have been different initiatives floated i know the disaster deductible was floated under the last administration and I don't think it survived into the new administration, but there are sort of variations on the theme that are being talked about on ways to get states to spend more. So it seems like that uh, there's this uh, trajectory to get a better handle on federal spending, but it's not really clear what the impact would be across states because either there isn't data or it varies so much across states that they're gonna, it's going to impact each of them differently. Is, is that fair to say?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so that's that's um, definitely fair to say, and one of the reasons we really um, went uh, picked up this topic and dove into it because um, w- one of the important things in in our view when you're making federal policy is to sort of understand the implications on states and to have like the the range of data and information that you will help you make the best uh, decision possible based on the available information. And in the discussions that you're talking about, there's um, federal government is looking at managing its rising costs with the general implication that often seems to be the general implication that states aren't spending enough uh-huh. but if the data isn't there you know it's very hard to actually evaluate what that balance should be or you know how to change anything in a way that actually leads to managing costs overall costs and not just shifting costs from one level of government to the other.
0: You know, that's an interesting point because I've seen a lot of uh, pieces out there talking about how states need to cover more and states and localities need to spend more on disasters. But with the data that you're showing suggests that in some cases, there's probably a pretty significant investment, um, whereas in other cases, there isn't. So even that criticism at face value may not be as valid as it is convenient.
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah and we think this is actually why um, it's important for states uh, to really consider um, to to track this information on a comprehensive basis because that will help them in discussions with the federal government about the um, next steps or any policy changes and and how to manage their manage the costs at both levels um, and and so this is why we actually um, say that this should collecting state data should really be a priority for the federal and state levels, um, while states, they kind of generally know what they're spending in terms of federal cost shares because it's required for federal reporting purposes, they don't always track their spending on state level disasters and particularly the spending by all agencies involved. And I think um, we have talked about like one state actually um, reported to us up to 12 agencies spending, you know, on disaster.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and in fact, on all phases of disasters. So there's not only the comprehensiveness of state data is not only just the number of agencies involved, but also all phases. You know, preparedness, mitigation, response, and recovery. Um, and then if you think about the the what disasters entail, you know, it's not just the emergency management department involved, but there's transportation and department, the environment department, the health department, um, and that's actually the spending that isn't really tracked, but is is important and is um, definitely part of the costs of, of- Uh, disasters and the investments that states are making right now.
0: You know, that's another um, I think important point because a lot of times uh, folks in this field you know, when they think about disaster spending, they're thinking the Emergency Management Agency and the money from FEMA and maybe some of the public health spending from HHS on the the bioterrorism grants, but there's a a tremendous amount spent uh, whether at the state or federal in as you mentioned, environmental protection, transportation. Um, Actually, we've been learning on some work we're doing on a grant um, that But Department of Agriculture has a number of different programs, most of which are independent of a Stafford Act declaration or or a FEMA-involved response for these sort of long-term sort of drought or um, crop failures and things like that that are uh, disaster-specific but not, you know, usually thought of under the the paradigm of disaster response and emergency management.
1: Yeah, actually, as you pointed out, it's really a complicated picture because there's so many wide-ranging and diverse needs during and after disaster, and the tail of recovery can be really long. Um, and so as you pointed out on the federal level, it's it's equally complex in terms of, um, actually the Government Accountability Office was um, charged to do a study to try to get a handle on what the federal government is spending. And so they um, did a study, they looked at the national planning frameworks you know, that, that mm-hmm. are used at the national level and identified 17 major departments and agencies. Yeah. and um, But if you look at the funding that agencies get from through the uh, disaster relief fund, it can be actually more than 30 agencies. So there really is a very complex picture. And as you noted, of course, the most obvious is FEMA. But then we found um, there's the Department of Defense with the Army Corps, you know, transportation helps with evacuations and rebuilding uh-huh. roads. If people talk a lot about the Housing and Urban Development's Community Development Block Grant, uh-huh. which really is there for the long-term restoration of infrastructure and housing. And then, as you pointed out, the Department of Agriculture actually is the second largest provider of federal disaster assistance uh-huh. to help with farm losses in all aspects um, and is not often talked about. So there really is um, a, a lot of uh, resources and and. Uh, programs at the federal level that also get involved and until the GAO study the federal government didn't really have a good handle on how much it spends on disasters
0: Yeah, I'll try and dig up and link uh, to the podcast as well, too. There was a Congressional Research Service uh, report that I read that first opened my eyes to the agricultural programs and how significant they are and, and how many different kinds there are. And this was just one agency, you know, um, other than FEMA. and yeah, yeah. The Department of Commerce is getting more involved with economic recovery. So, So it sounds like then when we're, you know, thinking about good federal policy as you mentioned it should be data driven and the data just isn't there to really say definitively what states are spending and what they aren't spending and and what's the right mix and the most effective um so based on kind of what you guys have seen uh, in your research on this uh, what are some of the changes what could actually lead to better data on this is it a, a federal issue is it a state issue um is it something that can be baked into the grants or um how do we uh how do we fix it and um can we do it quickly <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well, well, our recommendation really is that um, that we uh, think that there should be high-level policymaker attention at, um, at the federal level and at the state level, um, because at the state level, you know, because there's so many agencies involved, you really need um, an, an office or uh, Sort of policymakers, either at the executive or the legislative level, who are asking for this type of reporting and are interested in it. And we actually have a um, great example there, where with the state of Ohio, where we were working with them during um, the research and the filling out of the spending survey, the Emergency Management Agency connected with their state office of budget management to um, talk about developing a better tracking system. Um, and they then sort of looked at how to do that and piloted it during a um, flood event uh, this earlier this year and now have sort of instituted a policy that when the state's emergency operations center is activated that the, all the um, agencies that are involved in that then use a certain code to track their disaster spending. Mm-hmm. So there's, um, in our way, at least one state showing that um, this is possible and can be done. Um, it just requires a commitment and obviously multi-agency commitment. Um, and um, we're hopefully going to be talking to other states about, you know, Ohio's example and how they can think through their tracking. But for, for the f- discussions going on at the federal level, um, it's the getting data that can be compared across the 50 states that would require a national coordinated effort. And provide the most useful information. Um, so that's why we're recommending that sort of federal policymakers also think about this and how to, how to um, structure some way to, to get this information. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. I, I was oh, going to just... say,
0: I imagine you need some good data definitions and things like that so that the information getting in can be compared kind of apples to apples too, right?
1: Right. That's ex- that's exactly um, one of the questions, as always with data, right? And yeah. any type of data and any type of data that comes from either many agencies or many states is that you need to have sort of the basic understanding of what you're actually asking and collecting. And in our state survey, um, we we did the um, first, first pass at that, um, but it would definitely uh, be helpful if there were sort of a, a more coordinated national effort to do that
0: hey and you mentioned of the 50 states you got data back from 23 is there anything that worries you sort of in that unknown um 27 uh, that uh, uh could <laughs> significantly change what you're looking at i mean uh, assuming a similar i mean i guess it we'd assume a similar level of variance across them but any uh any concerns about that
1: i wouldn't say concerns more as questions obviously mm-hmm. i mean i think it's really interesting to know we had um We had 23 states respond, and it was a varying level of completeness and comprehensiveness, again, because of the challenge of collecting this data. And I think um, the more data you have and the more you hear from different states, the more you can learn how they're handling and managing this and all the different sort of programs that they have or or investments they're making in disaster uh, response and recovery, but also preparedness and mitigation So I don't think I have concerns. I think my concern is that we don't have this data, and therefore we're really missing out on understanding what states are doing and how that can feed into the larger discussion about managing costs of disasters going forward um, with with everyone making an effort to try to get a handle on this.
0: Yeah, and one thing I've learned, too, is either an inability or an unwillingness to answer a question also is usually indicative of a A challenge in getting the data and understanding the question and and not to read into why people did or didn't do it. But uh, um, I thought that I found that interesting as well, too, that it it probably speaks to a a large workload just to be able to answer the question as well, too.
1: (laughs) Actually, I was just going to say, right, because it's indicative. One of the things, of course, is we were asking the emergency managers to collect this, and some states were just in the midst of Responding to a disaster at that time, so um, while they were interested and saw the value and understood why um, they should they collect, try to collect this and, and make the case and show their investment level, they just didn't have the capacity and, and person power to do it at the time. All
0: so. right, we'll, we'll give them a pass this round, but next round <laughs> they better show up.
1: <laughs>
0: all right. Um, no, all, all joking aside. So uh, you know, what does this mean for cost sharing? I mean, it does seem, um, and, and I may be wrong and often am on things. But um, it, it feels like this is really at a breaking point with federal spending. I mean, we've had multiple, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, emergency appropriations through Congress just to cover the costs of the um, Disaster Relief Fund and other supplementals into the various agencies in the disaster recovery. We, um, uh, we're we seeing the National Flood Insurance Program sort of having to get re-upped to get uh, to just to be made solvent and uh, on sort of a continuing resolution, sort of moving down, so it seems like that that this is all sort of percolating to a boil in terms of how much the federal government can spend on these things. Um, <laughs> it, it, do you see like a breaking point down the road? Are there a lot of signals here that that this is going to change sooner rather than later? That that at the federal level they're gonna they're gonna say, look, we can't do this anymore, um, or do you think there's more time for this? Or what are your thoughts on what the future holds for kind of the current model of cost sharing?
1: Yeah. Um, as, as you've talked about, like the federal government really is seeing its costs increase and so one of the data points we've looked at is that eight of the most expensive years for FEMA's public assistance program were in the um, most recent decade from 2007 to 2016. So there, I think there is this sort of growing interest in managing this. There have been a lot of proposals over the years, um, but I think uh, recently there's been an uptick in discussions and of course um, I don't have one of the quotes in front of me right now but the FEMA Administrator Brock Long has been actively talking about you know how to um, how to to rethink the federal state local relationship in spending um, and that's why you know we wanted to make sure there there was state data on spending um, there have been ongoing discussions over time about increasing the threshold for a federal disaster declaration. Yeah. You know the amount that of estimated damages a state has to incur before it would be eligible for federal assistance. Um, and a, this can, you know, mostly uh, states are concerned about this because it could end up with them shouldering more of the costs before the federal government steps in. Uh-huh. And a version of this um, was in the form of the public assistance deductible that you mentioned earlier. That would have operated similarly, similarly to like a car insurance deductible, where states would have had to spend a certain amount before they received federal assistance. Um, that proposal now seems to be dormant, but we saw the question of changing the threshold come up most recently during a debate in Congress earlier this summer over the Disaster Recovery Reform Act. Um, but what we're also seeing is the federal government looking at uh, mitigation. As uh, um, not only on the federal level, but as something they want to provide incentives for at the state level, to sort of look at managing the costs of future disasters. And so we've seen kind of there have been proposals to provide incentives. Um, The most, one of them uh, was was enacted in the bipartisan budget agreement in earlier this year, Mm -hmm. that uh, would allow the president um, to increase authorize FEMA to increase the federal share of uh, disaster uh, support from 75% to 85%, um, based on how much a state has invested in mitigation um, prior, you know, prior to the event. And then there is a bill in Congress that would increase the federal cost share for states that have invested in their own individual assistance programs. Um, there's something FEMA is is uh, has launched what they've called a mitigation investment moonshot. Mm-hmm. which wants, wants to quadruple mitigation spending across all sectors. So I think there's, there are several things going on, but I think one of the um, you know, promising ones is this focus on mitigation.
0: Have any of these initiatives actually um, worked their way into law? You mentioned the bipartisan budget agreement. Um, ha- has any of that actually found its way into public law, or are they right now just sort of um, very serious discussions that, that are on a trajectory
1: for that? The um, bipartisan budget agreement is, is definitely law, so that was enacted in the beginning of this year. Okay. Um, it was a larger agreement to set the spending levels for the overall government for this year and next. Um, but in that was that um, that provision, which allows the um, FEMA to increase the cost share from 75 to 85 as a reward for uh, state investments in mitigation. Um, the other ones, the disaster reformer disaster recovery reform act are still under consideration
0: so so it seems like there's a general theme across all of these whether they're dormant or active discussions and whether it's the disaster deductible or in the form of um increasing the federal share is that uh is to try to incentivize preparedness and mitigation funding from non-federal dollars right
1: um well to from To incentivize mitigation, definitely from non-federal dollars, but also with some federal dollars added to that, right? If you're increasing what the federal government's going to pay in terms of its disaster assistance based on a state investing in mitigation, then the federal government saying we're actually they're using that as a reward, right? So they're putting some federal money into it as well.
0: Oh, right, right, right. So for the um, the federal shares of the the pre-disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So um so I guess in terms of this as, as well too I mean being at a university working with a lot of students and people in emergency management a lot of folks or who are prospective future FEMA directors and and emergency <laughs> management directors um kind of how does this, is this changing the field of emergency management do you have thoughts on sort of what kind of the next generation of emergency managers need to be ready to do need to be ready to think about what kinds of questions they're going to need to be ready to answer?
1: Um yeah definitely of course um from from our lens given our uh you know our look at this issue through the the fiscal and the spending end but i think um since this is a disaster politics podcast um i'm I, I just have to say that i think they should be more politic right not political right uh but politic in terms of understanding that they'll need to make their case outside of the emergency management community um There's now, you know, much broader interest in this, and a a focus on many from many sectors on the costs of disasters. Um, So they'll need to think about and strategize how to strengthen their case with the federal government as it looks to rebalance the federal-state relationship. Um, So they should work, think about working with their partner agencies and with their government budget offices to make sure that they are capturing state spending on disasters in a comprehensive way, so that they can. Prove to the federal government how much the state is investing of its own money. But also, um, another benefit of doing this is it uh, allows them to get a more complete sense of what money is going out the door, which could then help them work within the state and within their part, with their partner agencies to make more strategic des- decisions about investing, you know, in cost saving mitigation activities or, you know, reallocating as, as uh, where it would be most effective. Um, we always say um, budget budget people uh, like 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 I've, I am and emergency managers know that you can't manage what you don't track. Uh-huh. And emergency managers track lots of things, right? They track the trajectory of storms, they track supplies, they track damage assessments. Um, and to really understand the full scope of disasters, they really um, should ensure that their state is also comprehensively tracking spending and, and able to tell the story of what states are are doing, uh, in, in this, in this space and in this field to, um, their investments that they make and the, and the ways they're trying to manage costs.
0: Yeah. And, you know, on the I've done a lot of my work on the public health side and with the public health preparedness grants. And I remember just the uh, the, the grant programs that we really relied upon and, and the field continues to rely upon just getting cut dramatically um, a number of years ago. And part of the big reason for that was they were asked, you know, really hard questions by Congress. what, How much more prepared are we as a result of this? Where is our investment going? And the inability to measure that, the inability to track that and articulate that, I think was... One of what was probably many different reasons for you know cutting those two programs, the public health emergency preparedness by about 30 percent, the hospital preparedness by 50 percent. Uh, we've seen sim- similar cuts on the preparedness side as well too for FEMA grants, but um, but also recognizing I think there's a larger recognition that. It's not something that the federal government can grant its way into preparedness, but requires, you know, investments that that go beyond the federal sector. So, I, I think just a just an excellent point that that accounting and finance really needs to be part of the emergency management curriculum if it isn't already. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely part of the overall um, story and case that um, that you make for. For, and, and and showing you know what the value of these investments are I think that's I think you make a very good uh, point for that because there's so many competing um, priorities and so many competing issues and what we talk about is that um, disasters are often episodic um, so they capture people's imagination or focus or interest and concern for a period of time and then it goes away and then most policymakers, who are looking at funding uh, different programs have sort of especially at the state level they have annual priorities like Medicaid and K through 12 education that come up every year and need sustained attention. Whereas disasters sort of ebb and flow in a way that makes it challenging for uh, to for them to track um, if they're not sort of uh, given the information by the people who actually you know have the Best expertise on the ground.
0: Yeah, and there's a there's an article by a, a couple of political scientists. It's called um, I think it's called Natural Hazards. Pi- no, I think no, wait. I think it's called Myopic Voters and Natural Hazards Policy. And they do a really good analysis of sort of how sort of politics and disasters intersect and how voters reward. Um, essentially, what they come to is how voters tend to reward um, disaster recovery. I shouldn't say tend to with high. Um, Predictability will reward disaster spending after a disaster strikes um, to the point where something like in their analysis I think twenty seven thousand dollars buys you an additional vote if you're an elected official i'm not suggesting that should be policy but the um uh, but that on the preparedness side, even though it's demonstrated that uh, the preparedness saves money, you know FEMA, the one dollars spent on mitigation saves six in recovery. Um, and their number is even higher. Um, by the way, they did the analysis, but that um, there was no correlation between preparedness spending and voter behavior. Um, and I think along the same lines, it's that, you know, that that the value of preparedness, the value of mitigation is something that needs to be communicated and needs to be understood and needs to be tracked. But in the absence of, of good baseline data, we can't expect to have good national policy.
1: Yeah, that's exactly actually, um, it leads me to two points. One is um, we recently had a um, panel discussion hosted here at Pew that talked about, um, you know, state disaster spending. We had state experts and an expert who had worked at both the state and federal level, and we talked about how mitigation doesn't sell, quote-unquote, that we talked about. You need kind of ribbon cuttings for mitigation to make it, you know, to to sort of get it out into the public as, as something that is, interesting and valuable um, and then we are actually um, uh, on the cusp of publishing a brief on mitigation spending that really does actually highlight the fact that so much investment in mitigation comes after the disaster happens instead of before on the federal level and of course at the state level we we know less right? yeah. we still need to know more about what the states are doing um, and that's why we talk about if you look at all the spending and you take a comprehensive look you can actually kind of think about and be more strategic about where you're investing now versus where you could invest going forward that can could actually help you control the cost of disasters.
0: Well, I'm optimistic that we're going to get there. Um, maybe it's because I still have a lot of years left <laughs> in the workforce. And, uh, um and uh just uh couldn't go on imagining otherwise, but knowing that these discussions are happening they're happening at this level the panel presentation you mentioned I watched the, the webcast on the site um really really important, really great discussion in it it there's a lot of there's a lot to be said for for having this prompt the conversation um but how can folks learn more about this work and continue to follow it and see the report how can they how can they um keep up to speed with what you guys are doing yeah
1: um Great, yeah. We'd love for people to, um, you know, uh, keep in touch with us, and, and we have a website. Uh, it's uh, www.pewtrusts with an s. org slash fiscal dash federal federalism, um, and then we're, there we have a, a page all with our disaster work. Um, and on that page, you can also sign up for email alerts for when we publish something new. So we don't we don't send out a lot of emails about our work for. But we do um, make sure folks who've signed up get what you know our, our recent publications. Um, and on Twitter, you can follow um, at Pew States and me. Uh, I'm at, at a Stauffer, DC. So I don't know if you would. I can spell that if you'd like. But,
0: I'll, I'll put it all in um, the podcast description for uh, um, okay lazy people like myself. So just <laughs> <I know, right>. click. <laughs> 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 right yeah.
1: exactly even better
0: yeah, yeah so. well thank you so much for joining us uh today and talking through all of this and thank you so much just for really this research and this work that you guys are doing you know i think it's just so critical to the field to hear about this i was so glad to see the webinar and see the report come out and to know that there's more coming and uh, more work like this going on i think just for continuing to build better and better policy uh we need better data and this provides some great roadmaps on the way to do that
1: yeah, well, Jeff, thanks so much. It was a pleasure to join you, and I think it's great that you're looking at sort of the many different and the comprehensive look at all the, the issues and all the um, aspects and all the players that are involved in, you know, what you're, what you're calling disaster politics, which is really sort of disaster management with a much larger view. So, Thanks.
0: All right, that does it for today's episode of Disaster Politics Podcast. Special thank you to Ann Stauffer and the Pew Charitable Trusts and the team there working on fiscal federal policy. And really excited to see what's coming out in these uh, forthcoming reports and definitely going to keep an eye on that. If you like what we're doing here on Disaster Politics Podcast, uh, you know, uh, give us a shout-out. Find us on Twitter. We're at DisasterPolitik. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you download this fine podcast. It helps others discover the show. If you want to be a guest on the show, if you want to just keep the conversation going in a little less public forum, you can send us an email. We're disasterpoliticspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining. Hopefully it won't be a few months before the next one. But in either case, whatever you're doing, stay safe out there.